During my final months of my senior year of college, I did what most people do in that situation. I started looking for a job. And I had a lot of options because I had a very unusual degree. My degree was in writing and business and religion. Now, the religion part of that degree had prepared me for ministry, but I did not yet feel a strong, confirmed calling from God to become a pastor. And that didn't actually happen for another 12 years. So as someone looking to graduate from college and needing employment, I started looking for jobs in the world of advertising and marketing to use my writing and business training. I sent out 150 resumes before I got a job. But when I finally got that first job, it was everything I could have asked for. It was an entry-level position with a large corporation where I would be writing ads and sales brochures for technical products. Because it was a large corporation, there was a career path if I wanted to stick with them, and I was excited to have that kind of a very first job. I'd also done some research, and I knew what kind of salary to expect for that entry-level position, and when the company made me the employment offer, they offered to pay me more than I'd expected. So I was ecstatic. A good job with a good company at better than expected pay. It was wonderful. So I started my new job, and I quickly met some other new college graduates, and as newbies, we started hanging out together over lunch. Well, one day over lunch, the topic of salary came up, and I found out that every one of these other new college grads was making more money than me. Everyone. That's because they all worked in sales. I was in sales support. And the company placed a higher value on people that were actually generating revenue for the corporation. And so there was nothing unjust in me getting a lower, lower salary, but all of a sudden I felt cheated. I felt unfairly treated. And I nursed some hurt about that for months. But what I just described is an ongoing human problem. We can feel just fine about who we are and how we are doing and how we are treated until we start comparing ourselves to others. And we compare salaries and we compare living situations and we compare possessions. And if we're not careful, we can wind up resenting what other people have that we don't have. And we might even convince ourselves that the differences between us are unfair, that they're unjust. And what's true in our daily lives sometimes carries over into the spiritual realm. We might compare ourselves to other believers and wind up resenting their spiritual gifts or the particular way they've been blessed by God. And we might even tell ourselves that those differences are unfair, unjust. Why doesn't God do for me what He did for that person over there? What we need to understand is that God is not unfair. He simply has a different view of justice than we do. And to help us understand God's perspective, Jesus explains it in a story called the parable of the vineyard. 
and it's recorded for us, as I said a minute ago, in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. And Elizabeth now is going to come and read us this story, and she's going to do so with a little help and a little coaching from her dad, Stephen. So Elizabeth, come on up. And we're excited this morning that you're going to read for us from the Scriptures and share the parable of the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went going out again about the sixth hour. In the ninth hour, he did the same and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing and he said to them why do you stand here idle all day they said to him because no one had hired us he said to them you go into the vineyard too and when evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman called the laborers and paid them his. He paid them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour, when those came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worker worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who had borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is, belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. I am, I, am I not allowed to do what I chose, choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the law. The last will be first, and the first last. Thank you, Elizabeth. 
Thanks for coaching, Dad. <laughs> All right. You know, as finite human beings, it is not easy for us to understand an infinite God. And parables are one of the ways that our God uses to bridge the gap. They're a way for us to better understand God and connect with God because they're simple stories about common people and common places and common events. Yet it's important for us to realize that they're not intended to be understood literally. Parables are allegories that Jesus uses to teach us about the way that God is building His kingdom. And that becomes very clear here in verse 1. Let's take a look. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And, you know, we often overlook the fact that God is building a kingdom. Jesus did not come to earth simply to offer a message of salvation. He came to establish God's kingdom. In fact, when Jesus started his public ministry, we read in the book of Mark chapter 115, Jesus says, the time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. The good news is about salvation and the kingdom that God invites us into. And when Jesus arrived, he wanted people to know that the kingdom is near and the kingdom is here. And through his parables, he tells us what life is designed to be like for those who respond to God's invitation and become kingdom citizens. This kingdom that God began to build the day Jesus started his ministry. The kingdom that God is continuing to build and the kingdom that will be revealed in its perfection in eternity. And ever since Jesus returned to heaven, he's been working through his followers, people like you and me, to establish the values of the kingdom in our world so that people who are far from God can understand the privileges of living as kingdom citizens along with us. And so in this parable, Jesus is not actually talking about a vineyard owner and his laborers. He's talking about the kingdom. And in this particular parable, Jesus is explaining how God expresses justice and generosity as he builds his kingdom. Now there's one more thing we need to see. Whenever Jesus describes the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven, as he does here, he's letting us know that this particular parable has significant eternal implications. So Jesus starts this parable, wants us to know that it's about the kingdom and God is building a kingdom. And of course, if you want to have a kingdom, you need kingdom citizens. So how does God get those citizens? Does he sit around and wait for them to come to him? Nope. He goes looking for them. And Jesus gives us a picture of that in this parable by describing a vineyard owner who is urgently looking for laborers. Let's see how this plays out throughout the parable. 
At the start of the day, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. That was at the beginning of the workday. Then going about the third hour, 9 a.m., he did it again. Going out about the sixth hour, noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., he did the same. And at the eleventh hour, 5 p.m., and he went and found others. The picture here is this, of this vineyard owner who spends his day going into his vineyard to supervise workers, going back to the marketplace to get more workers, back into the vineyard, back into the marketplace. He is hunting urgently for more and more people to come into his vineyard. And here's what's really interesting. In the practical sense, the literal sense of this parable, this urgent hunt for workers doesn't happen every day with a vineyard owner. It actually happens just once a year. There's only one time a year when a vineyard owner is desperate for workers like this, and that's harvest time. And Jesus' audience, because they live in that agricultural world, they would immediately understand the timing of this parable, and they would sense the urgency of the moment. You see, the grape harvest takes place in late September, and it's immediately followed by the rainy season. Now, we know what that's like here in Oregon, because our official rain year starts in October. And if you do like I do and you shop at some of the local farms, you know that in September they're racing to get the crops in before the rains come back. Well, it was the same thing in ancient Israel. The grape harvest is a race to beat the weather. Therefore, any worker is welcome, even if he only can put in an hour or two in the vineyard. And that's why this owner spends all day rushing back and forth. He's eagerly looking for everyone who can help in his vineyard. But here's a really pivotal question we need to ask. Why does Jesus set this parable at the urgent time of harvest season? Because he wants us to know that in the kingdom of heaven, it's always harvest season. Every single day, the king of the kingdom of God is looking for people to invite into his vineyard. He never, ever stops. And that is incredibly good news. And it's the big picture of this parable. Yet there's some underlying details we need to grasp. And in order to grasp them, we need to understand some of the actual reality on which this story is based. What is life actually like for a first century vineyard owner and his workforce? First of all, there was no concept of a 40-hour work week. The Jewish day runs from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and that means the first shift of workers starts early. And the owner, just like his men, puts in a long day. He's not relaxing at home, lingering over a late breakfast. He's up at the crack of dawn to hire the workers he needs for that day and to supervise everything going on in his vineyard. And work in a vineyard is physically demanding. Most vineyards in that day are planted on terraced hillsides. And so the workers have to go up and down the hill all throughout the day. If, if you need fresh soil to put around the, the base of the vines, you've got to haul that soil up from below. And during harvest season, you trudge up the hill with some containers to put the grapes in. You harvest the grapes. You put them carefully in a container. You haul that load down the hill without damaging the grapes, then you trudge up the hill and you do it again. Harvest, pack, down the hill, up the hill. Harvest, pack, down the hill, up the hill. 
trip after trip for up to 12 hours a day in the hot, glaring sun because it's really hot in Israel at that time of year. So keep, keep in mind the burden of the work as you think about the reaction of the men when it's time to get paid. Now this kind of work typically is done by day laborers and they hang out in the village marketplace which functions like the local hiring hall. And if you don't have a steady job, you go to the marketplace and you hang out there hoping against hope that someone will come and give you employment for the day. Day laborers live a very precarious existence on the lower rungs of that society. And they never know when the next job might come along. And the established daily wage, the minimum wage of that day, which was a denarius, that barely covers the minimum living expenses for a family of four. To be unemployed for even a single day then is a major financial setback. So these men are grateful to have work, even if it's only for part of a day. And I think we understand that for anyone who wants to work and who needs to work, it is so frustrating to be idle. It makes you feel useless when you can't do the work that you want to do. So by putting these men to work, the owner blesses them. He enables them to be productive and to provide for themselves and their families. And by making money, the men acquire a degree of self-sufficiency and independence. And so the owner enables them to earn a living, and at the same time, he helps himself. And that's the beauty of the marketplace when it functions properly. Everybody gets something they need. Now, that's the real-life version of this parable so far because Jesus does something really interesting with parables he always anchors them in reality to help people understand them but in almost every parable he throws in a curveball he tells this normal story and then he throws in an abnormal point so people will gasp or shake their heads or go what and he does that so we will catch an essential truth in various ways, the principles of the kingdom of God are different than our principles. And in this case, Jesus wants the people listening to him to understand that God is not like the typical vineyard owner. God's kingdom does not function with the same set of values as those of the marketplace. So in this story, Jesus has the owner do something unbelievable, something that's even outrageous. The owner pays everyone the same wage, regardless of how long they worked. And those listening to Jesus, oh, they would be shocked. And they would be angry. Because paying people in that way doesn't line up with their sense of justice. It may not line up with our sense of justice. And the worker's sense of injustice comes through very clearly in verses 8 to 12. Let's take a closer look at that passage. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. This is really interesting. Beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now they're frustrated. We sense some of the tension there. And we need to realize that this whole scenario is based on expectation. That first shift, the people that started at the beginning of the day, they went to work for an agreed upon wage so they know what to expect. A full day's work, a full day's pay. But these other groups hired throughout the day, they have no such agreement. So they're working based simply on the faith of the owner. Their faith in the owner to treat them fairly. So they hope for decent pay, but nevertheless, at the end of the day, they would logically expect to receive a prorated wage, something less than a denarius. And then they're totally surprised because they get a full day of pay for a partial day of work. Well, naturally, as the first shift men watch these later shift men get a full day's pay, then it raises their expectation. Even though there was an agreement, ah, a denarius for the day, they're thinking, well, if these guys got a denarius, then of course we'll get more. We worked harder, we worked longer. And when they don't get more, they feel cheated. And we can understand why. They got up at the crack of dawn. They probably ate a hurried breakfast. They went into the marketplace. They got hired right away. And they labored in the sun for 12 long hours doing physically grueling work. And they're hot and they're dusty and they're tired. And they want to get their pay and go home and have a meal. But now instead of just getting their pay and being allowed to go on their way, the owner makes them stand there and watch while the one-hour workers get paid first and they see the short-timers get the exact same wage. And here's what's so interesting. Those first shift men felt just fine about the agreement. They felt they were treated fairly until they compared themselves to the others. That's when they became resentful. And they were resentful not because they were cheated, they were jealous because of the owner's selective generosity. So even though the owner kept his word to them, they viewed his actions as unjust. You were more generous to them than you were to us. I find myself wondering why the owner allowed this to happen. He could have paid the first shift first, sent them on their way, paid the later shifts later, and he would have avoided that whole negative response. So while it's best in most cases not to compare ourselves to others, it's obvious in this case the owner wants people to make the comparison. And why is that? It's because he wants everyone 
to understand his values. He wants them to understand that his view of justice is different than theirs. And he explains this very clearly and very succinctly in the final verses of this parable. But he, that's the owner, replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. See, I've not been unjust to you. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Here's what's the, what the owner of the vineyard wants people to know. He wants people to know, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to honor my commitments. I'm going to treat people fairly. And I also will be gracious to those who labor by faith. In other words, he's going to act with both justice and generosity. And those who work a longer day should not be resentful, but grateful that they were invited into the vineyard and grateful that the owner kept his word to them. Instead of grousing, they could have said, you know, I'll bet there were men in the marketplace who never had any work at all today. I'm so glad I had the chance to earn some money and provide for my family. And I'm so glad that the owner honored his commitment and paid me what he said he'd pay me. On a human level, Jesus is giving us a picture of an owner who cares for his workers. You see, the owner knows that this daily wage is the minimum amount a family needs, so a worker who's only paid for an hour or two is going to face some hardship. And this owner exceeds the expectations of those short-time workers because he is generous and compassionate. He is amazingly and unexpectedly merciful. And what Jesus is doing is painting a wonderful picture of the God who wants to meet our needs. And that is a core value of the kingdom of God. However, we also have to say that if you acted like that landowner today and paid people that way, you might find yourself uh, with the labor board in your hip pocket, <laughs> charging you with unfair labor practices. Jesus is not telling us here how to set company wage policies. He's telling us about justice and generosity in the kingdom of God. And this is where the parable becomes filled with spiritual implications. You see, when it comes to the ultimate question of life, which is our relationship with the vineyard owner, the king of the kingdom of God, when it comes to that issue, there is no partial wage. The master only pays full wages to everyone who comes into his vineyard. Everyone who accepts his invitation gets the same reward. And the reason that the news of the kingdom is such good news is that it's incredibly easy to get into this vineyard because the owner's not sitting around on his hands waiting for people to come to him. He's out hunting for people. And when he finds people, he's not terribly selective. 
He doesn't interview these workers and grill them about their qualifications. He just wants to know one thing. Are you willing to come? Are you willing to come and join me in my vineyard? Anyone can respond to this master's invitation. And most importantly, it doesn't matter at what hour of the day you respond. It doesn't matter when in the course of your life you respond. The wage always is the same. And the wage this master gives us is a living wage because it's a wage that mercifully spares us from the consequences of sin and gives us a new life here and now. It's a wage that enables you and I to live each day with peace and contentment if we trust the owner. It's a wage that gives us hope for this life and for the next life. This is a wage that sustains our souls and meets our deepest needs. The owner of this vineyard, the king of the kingdom, is just and he's generous, as Jesus makes so clear throughout this parable. And God's justice says to everyone, I'm inviting you in. And you get to come into my vineyard when you respond to my invitation. I invite, you accept, and I'll keep my word and bless you fully. That's God's spiritual justice. And God's spiritual generosity says, it doesn't matter when in life you respond to my invitation. You still can come into the vineyard and you get the exact same blessings. It's an equal outcome for unequal behavior. Because God acts with justice, yet He loves to be generous. And yet sometimes it might be tempting for us to view that as unfair. We've been believers a long time, we might react like those first shift workers. I've sacrificed so much for God, why why should someone who only responds to Jesus at the end of life get the same reward as me? And I think that's only valid if we, if we think serving in the Lord's vineyard is a chore. And it's not. Life in relationship with Jesus right here, right now, is so much richer and fuller than life apart from Him. And if you somehow think that you're, you're worse off as a Christian or that somehow you're missing out on the, the pleasures of life enjoyed by someone who's living a self-indulgent lifestyle and they're apart from God, if you think that, then maybe, maybe you don't fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to live by faith. Because life isn't easy for any of us, but it is so rich to live in the vineyard of the Lord and to share each day in his bountiful harvest. And we should want to be with him in his vineyard for as much of our life as possible. 
And we shouldn't be resentful of those short-timers who get connected to God later in life. We should be grateful for the years we get to spend in relationship with Jesus and grateful for the way that He gives us life and sets us free from the compulsions of this broken world. Grateful because every hour and every day as a kingdom citizen in this life is very, very precious. And we should be grateful that our God welcomes everyone who comes into His vineyard no matter how late the hour. And I personally think that part of what we see in this parable is actually going to be played out in real life. I think we're going to one day stand before God and we're going to stand in line at the heavenly gates and I think we're going to watch the latecomers go first. And when that happens, I think God wants us to celebrate to celebrate that before they finished their lives, they made it into God's vineyard. Because of God's merciful generosity, they joined us as kingdom citizens when they responded to God's invitation. That's the point of this parable. I have to tell you, many years ago, I had a chance to see a real-life example of this parable. I was attending a little church down the street from the college that I was going to. And one day an elderly woman named Cora came to visit. And I never knew Cora's full story. But she was in her late 70s and she had lived a pretty rough life. You know, some people when you look at their faces, you can sort of see the pain of life etched into their face. That was Cora. And she was kind of rough around the edges and had an abrasive personality. She wasn't a follower of Jesus, but she realized, I'm in my 70s and I've never once thought about the spiritual dimension of life. I wonder if it's too late to tend to matters of the soul. And so she found her way to our little church to check out God. For several weeks, she listened to our pastor teach and preach, and she learned about God, and one day it all made sense to her. And she realized that the gracious owner of the vineyard was inviting her to come. And she understood that her life, for whatever time she had remaining, could be filled with a new sense of meaning and purpose. Cora recognized that it didn't matter that it was the 11th hour of her workday. The gracious vineyard owner just wanted to shower her with his generosity. So Cora repented of her sins and she asked God to forgive her for the harmful things she'd done throughout her life, things that had hurt her and hurt others and fallen so far short of what God expected. And she asked God to heal the wounds in her heart from the battles of life and she publicly professed her faith in Jesus and she was baptized. <laughs> her baptism was the most dramatic baptism I've ever seen. Our pastor put Cora down into the water, and as he raised her up, she fell to her knees. And she raised her eyes and her arms to heaven. And at the top of her lungs, she started to pray and to praise and thank God with tears just rolling down her face. And we all knew that in that moment, our gracious and generous God had met Korah in a powerful way. 
and He was flooding her soul with love and forgiveness and healing. What a dramatic, dramatic moment. Well, not everyone has that same experience, certainly, but that was Chorus, and she truly was a different person after that day. She still was rough around the edges, but there was a peacefulness in her spirit. She lived with a sense of gratefulness and thankfulness because Jesus had met her and Jesus had changed her. And about four months later, (sighs) about four months later, I went to her funeral. And Cora had missed out on the joy of a long life with Jesus, but oh, those last few months on this earth, those very few months in the Master's vineyard, they were the best that she ever had. And because she stepped into God's vineyard in this life, she didn't miss out on the blessing of being with Jesus in the next life. And that's because, as this parable makes clear, our gracious God offers the same reward to everyone. New life here and now, and an eternity of peace and blessing in God's vineyard, God's eternal kingdom. Korah got the full day's wage for a very short day of labor because our God is so mercifully, mercifully generous. And that's why Jesus wants people to know God is eager to bring you into the vineyard. He's urgently looking and seeking and searching and inviting. And and I don't know where you all are in your own spiritual journey today. Maybe you are a seeker. Maybe you've been wondering and questioning. And this parable is for you to say, why wait until the 11th hour? The vineyard owner would love to have you join him. And why not respond to such a generous God today? If that's a decision that you want to make, if that's something that you're wondering about, I would love to talk to you after the service. Or if you're not ready for that conversation yet, just dot a note on the connection card and turn that in and I'll get back to you during the week. We would love to help you be able to experience and respond to the invitation of the vineyard owner and to come into his bountiful, bountiful vineyard and enjoy the harvest. Now, having said that, I think most of us already are in the vineyard. And some of us have been in it for a long time. And we need to be sure that we don't grumble like those first shift workers and have a negative attitude toward late comers. Instead, what Jesus wants is for us to follow and serve God joyfully. To serve Him joyfully and thankfully, remembering that the owner of our vineyard is both just and generous. And He is keeping His word to us, and He will meet our needs, and He will bless us, and He will sustain us. And here's something else we can do. We can join our master in looking for people to invite in. 
Because in God's kingdom, it's always harvest season, which means it's always urgent. Time is pressing. The Lord's vineyard is ready, and it's full of fruit. And so let's reach out to those around us and invite them in to say to people who are far from God, come in and enjoy with us the bountiful harvest of life in God's vineyard. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so, so grateful for Jesus. And we're grateful for this vivid reminder through this parable that you are a God of justice, but you are also a God of incredibly merciful generosity. And Father, if we're, if we're in your vineyard, then that means you've extended your generosity to us in some way. You're allowing us the privilege of living as kingdom citizens. And may we just revel in the joy of that and never feel as if it's a burdensome duty. And we do pray for the people we know who are not yet in your vineyard, Lord. And we ask that you might show us how we can help invite them in to enjoy the richness of life with you in your kingdom. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.